Welcome to episode 224 with my guest, Drew Monson. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Please go there. Check it out. Join the forum, uh, read blogs, uh, fill out a survey, see how other people filled out surveys, uh, support the show, um, all kinds of stuff you can do at the website. Um, let's get to it. Oh, just wanted to let you know if I seem a little out of it. Uh, got the flu last night, and um, I don't know what it is. The last couple of times I've had the flu, um, it's like my my legs don't my legs don't work. I'll I'll get up to go um, pee and and I'll actually have to crawl at a at a certain point because I get super super dizzy and uh, and have it's like all the strength goes out of my legs. So uh, looking forward to old age. Let's see. This is the struggle in a sentence survey. This is filled out by Cece and she writes about her love addiction. I fall in love fast and easily and immediately think what the future may hold if you are what I think I'm looking for. Then I ruin it by getting clingy and weird very quickly, every fucking time. Mess in my mind writes about her depression. Yes, I can sleep when I'm dead, but I want to sleep now to stay alive. Boy, did I relate to that one. I really related to that one. And then the snapshot from her life. I think my overeating started when I was first going through puberty. Up until then, I'd been really thin, fast met- metabolism, all the good stuff. And then I grew boobs, and it was like a switch got turned on that made me eat like crazy. When I started gaining weight to the point that my dad noticed, he always made comments about my eating habits at the dinner table. Are you sure? Are you sure you need that second helping? You're going to die of a heart attack like your grandmother. Slow down. The food isn't going to run off your plate. And in spite, I'd take that second helping of food, then a third, maybe a fourth. Even at 25, my dad continues to make comments about my weight, and I continue to overeat day after day. I just want to say to any uh, parents that have um, kids that are uh, overeating, um, talk to them about their feelings. That seems like a much better way than... um, shaming them about how much they eat. This is uh, this was filled out by Trish about her depression. Part of me is trying its hardest to kill me, and another part of me is fighting with all its might to stay alive. Uh, definitely relate to that one. Um, snapshot from her life. Lying in bed with soaking wet pillow from crying. Dialing help number, then hanging up because what's the point? Then calling again over and over until someone answered before I could hang up. Thank you for that, Trish. Oh, it's Trishy. Uh, this is filled out by Baba Du Farm. And uh, she writes about her fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, going to bed every night, praying for the miracle that would be waking up the next morning with enough energy, enough motivation, enough pain redu- reduction, and enough self esteem just to take a shower that day. Wow, that is heavy. This is from uh, Monday and about her depression. She writes, "There's a for, for some reason, all it seems like all of the surveys uh, tonight are from uh, women. Dudes out there, come on, let's go, get cracking. Um, about her depression, she writes, there's a hole in my soul with the wind blowing through. That's pretty poetic. Um, snapshot from her life. 
Uh, you're an alcoholic, and if you take another drink, you will never see your child again. My daughter was an infant when her father said those words to me. He had come home from work to find me passed out on the couch with our four-week-old baby on my stomach, screaming her head off. He couldn't wake me. Well, I hope that you are on your path to getting sober. I hope that's a bottom for you. Uh, this is filled out by just trying to be my best and about her depression. She writes, moderate, like I'm that claw machine at Walmart, rigged to never pick anything up. About her anxiety, if I take a single step, it might be the wrong direction, so I sit, stay still. Boy, do I relate to that one. Snapshot from her life. I'm supposed to make some sort of career decision or educational decision, but I feel like if I choose something, I'll be stuck with it for the rest of my life. I'm scared to make decisions. I was at a job for a year and a half that I absolutely hated, and they didn't like me either. I talked to the customers too much, didn't do well, uh, didn't do well enough uh, in, in anything, uh, no matter how hard I tried. I was too scared to quit because I didn't feel capable of finding another job. Now I've been unemployed for a month, and I haven't even sent in a single resume or applied for unemployment. Everything is too overwhelming. I don't want to get up in the morning. I don't want to do anything. I've shopped compulsively, eaten compulsively, but nothing makes that anxiety ever go away. I'm stuck, and I hate it. I wish I had a job I loved. I'd love to be a counselor, but the road to that seems unlikely. I don't know how other people do it. I went to a career office, and they gave me a questionnaire to fill out on what I'd like my career path to be, and I got a panic attack. I'm too scared to choose. I think you would make a great counselor because you would be able to empathize um, with so many things that people go through. And just a thought is um, try baby steps. Try just uh, saying today I'm going to pick up the phone and um, or I'm just going to get on the Internet for five minutes and fill out one resume. And just try that. Uh, and this one is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Captain Crunch and about living with an abuser. She writes, like I was weighed down all the time while he was there and like I was actually me when he was gone. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. Your shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell. By 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So... <laughs> <laughs> so that is when I first felt love, like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing. I'm here with Drew Monson, uh, who I became aware of through a couple of listeners that uh, either tweeted or sent me an email and said, you got to have this guy on the show. And I told them, fuck off. Uh-huh. And uh, they didn't listen. <laughs> no, they, uh, they, uh, yeah. They, so I, I contacted you mm-hmm. and, um, and here we are. Yeah. You don't know much about me. I don't know much about you. Uh, should we arm wrestle? 
I'm really nervous. Are you? Why? I'm, well, I told you before I had a problem coming over here. And that's one of my biggest things is when I, I plan something specifically and, and it something doesn't work out mm-hmm. and like a, a small aspect of it I can't change. So I start to almost cry like if I'm going to be late somewhere or like I can't find the right bus or something like that's always been my thing is that I so that just happened. So I was about to cry before the podcast. <laughs> Well, you're my favorite kind of guest then because I like guests that can get vulnerable and can talk about their feelings. And I know that's a lot of what you do. Uh, You're a YouTube personality and you got a lot of followers, a lot of um, people that uh, subscribe to you. And um, uh, I know recently you posted about uh, having depression Mm. and feeling suicidal. Yeah. Do you want to jump right into that? Do you want to do some backstory and talk about your life and then talk about that later? What are let me, let me ask you this first. What are the what are the issues that you struggle with? Um I was diagnosed with with depression and OCD when I was like 12 and um I kind of go in and out of obsessive compulsions um some some months it'll be good and some months or some years it'll be bad so it's been like that for a while um the depression isn't as terrible at this time in my life but there's there's i don't know it's hard to explain i've also never done a podcast before and now i'm thinking about many other things (laughs) and i never knew if you looked at some i feel like i'm being a little bit too in the moment Uh, I relate to the brain <laughs> scattering around in nine different directions at once. I I will be like pulling into my driveway saying, okay, I got to remember to, you know, take that, uh, whatever the box out of the back. Mm-hmm. And 10 minutes later, I will be walking, getting out or 10 seconds later, I'll be getting out of my car and my brain is mm-hmm. already on something else. And I've completely forgotten yeah. that I just made a mental note to, yeah. to do that. And uh, you're old. You know. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm 52 years old. How old are you? Jesus fucking. No, I'm I'm 19. 19. Yeah. Oh, I remember 19. Also known really? as 1983. Really? Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> My dad's older than you, though, so I don't think you're old. Yeah. Well, you know, I. This sounds like a cliche, but I feel like age is a state of mind. Certainly, there. You know, there's there's things that your body uh, stops being over, able to yeah. to to do. I can't play sports like I used to when I was 19, but uh, I still enjoy them, and that's all that matters. I was just saying to somebody the other day, I've been playing hockey for 44 years, and I have never once taken my skates off and said that that was a waste of time. And so, in many ways, I feel like, all right, so what? I'm 52. I'm slower. I'm fatter. uh, I'm older. But um, That's intimidating. A a neurotic jock. (laughs) I wouldn't. It's funny because I wouldn't consider myself a jock because in high school I was four foot ten, weighed eighty five pounds, and had glasses. Wow! And uh, just smoked weed to oh. numb, okay. numb all the pain. Gotta try that. Yeah, <laughs> I got the glasses. Um, so you were born where? Uh, a place called Modesto. I have never heard good things about really? Modesto. It's usually just- referenced in like movies or TV as like. Woody from Modesto, <laughs> or like, <Right. laughs> or like, um, I think on Entourage they said it. They're like, "We're gonna make this movie because the two guys in Modesto want to see it." Or yeah, something. it's the new Peoria, <laughs> something like that. Or it's yeah. like a Cleveland, or I don't know. It's it's a, it's kind of a sad reference, but I actually 
really like it. And I, I mean, I, it's hard for me to tell if that's because I, I grew up there and every memory I have is there besides the past three months, which is when I moved. You moved here three months ago. Yeah. Um, no wonder you're anxious. <laughs> yeah, I'm really anxious. Is it I, making you anxious? No. Okay. Uh, everybody seems to have some trial by fire when they move to L.A. Yeah. My wife and I had the Northridge earthquake uh, oh. a week after we moved here. Okay. Other friends of ours had the riots or the fires or people will get a divorce or they'll get in a, you know, a car accident or something that just kind of tests their, their metal. So yeah. uh, if, if L- you feel like L.A. is testing your metal, you're, you're not alone yeah i mean it's it tests you in a lot of ways i mean it's what i'm realizing this is coming from someone who hasn't even been here that long trying to be like an actor person which everybody knows is it's not really fit for somebody with anxiety any kind of problems i would bet most actors probably live with some type of mental illness because the very active yeah doing wanting to do that is is kind of a cry for help <laughs> totally yeah and you don't get the help really. <laughs> you don't you get the opposite no nobody helps you mm. and like it's really and again this is coming from someone who hasn't had that much experience but it's like you know and everyone always says well you know the rejection and the rejection but you don't really know what that means until you get it mm-hmm. like you you think oh, oh yeah i'm not going to get parts but then it's like not getting parts means something else it means like a people don't not give you parts they they make you think you're going to get a part and then you That's talk to it. somebody who says oh i know it i know we normally say it's going to happen and it doesn't but this one you know and it's it's all that it fucks with there's you there's a there's a, a two year period where you first move here and you believe every person that says yeah. they're going to put you in something yeah. <laughs> and then after the first 20 of them don't work out yeah. you just say i'll believe it when the check is in my hand and you just put it out. You go to that audition or whatever, yeah. and you just put it out of your mind until uh, until you get it. And everybody knows that's how you think. So they start it with, "I know you hear this a lot, but I really right. think that we're gonna we we really love you for this or whatever it yeah. is." Um, so that that's that's not the best combination for for being depressed. <laughs> no, that's an that's an understatement. Is your uh, t-shirt is that Guster? Yeah, do you know Guster? I do. No way. Yeah, I'm really. Not, yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I may be old, but no, I don't know I, anyone I'm, who knows Guster, even a yeah, young person. Yeah, I have one of their albums. I can't remember the name of it. But, but you know the cover? Yeah, that's crazy. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> I saw them last week. How were they? Amazing. Yeah. I was. I wrote it down for the thing where you said that you love things. Going to a Guster concert is my favorite thing in the world. That's awesome. I've been seeing them since I was like eleven. That is awesome. It's um, I love them so much. Who are some of the other bands you like? Um, just a lot of the white people stuff. <laughs> um, stuff like I mean, well, now I, I, I guess I feel better because normally when people ask me what bands I like, I don't want to be like, well, you're not going to know them because that sounds so douchey. But then I name a bunch of ones they don't know and it's just uncomfortable because oh. there's nothing you can do when someone doesn't know something. Well, there's a really good chance I won't know them, so don't be... Let me think. Okay. Um, well, my favorite... My favorite band besides Guster of all time is the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. I don't really know I have why. no idea who they am. No, you never heard of them? No, who they am. <laughs> it just fucked my joke up. Uh, I'll fix it in post. Yeah. Do, well, let's, let's do another. Uh, <laughs> um, who else? Uh, do you know Ben Folds? 
Yeah, Ben Folds. Uh, I was your age when he uh, hit the scene. Really? Actually, a little bit older than you. I was maybe 25. Yeah. Yeah, I, early 90s. That's he exciting. had. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a very talented guy. Maybe and, I'm underestimating comedians. Could be. I'm thinking of like my dad's friends' music taste when I assume things about you. I think, you know, I think people um, in the arts tend to generally be a little more aware maybe of uh, who's doing what artistically than yeah. people uh, that aren't, but obviously not a hard and fast rule. Yeah. Who else? Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I like the band Cake. I love Cake. I have every one of their really? albums. And they're from Modesto, aren't they? No, Granddaddy's from Modesto. I don't know if you ever heard Granddaddy. Well, then they live in Modesto, Cake, what? Modesto. They or, might have something to do. I don't. What's I, they're the, not from Modesto. Uh, they might uh, be from Sacramento or or um, Modesto. Maybe I don't think and they're from Modesto. I think I think San Francisco is where yeah. they uh, were okay. when they made their name. Right. But I watched them. Do you ever watch that thing on uh, the Guitar Center sessions? Oh, when they show the guitar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all all the guitar they shoot it at guitar centers you know, yeah, the guitars in the background them, yeah. uh, Cake was on there and they talked about uh, being on the road all the time uh, they talked about Modesto? I could swear that oh, that's, that's where exciting. he said uh, they're they're based out of it's always really exciting to hear Modesto even though it's normally brought up in a negative there's a show right yeah. now called American Crime that's mm-hmm. all about people killing each other and they chose Modesto. Um, one of my good friends is the lead in that, Elvis, the the guy who Really? Uh, I haven't yeah. watched it yet. I'm waiting to binge yeah. it. Yeah. Let he, him know I said hey. He's the he's the crack smoking uh guy. I mean, he should have mirrored me to, to figure out what a Modestum was like. <laughs> so let's talk about your childhood. What was that like? Um childhood. Good. I mean, well, this is another... I was going to bring up a few things to you that I, I, I was listening the other day to your show. Um, and one of the things you brought up was that I really liked was the idea that you don't have to have a terrible childhood to have to have some issues. Because there is that, that fear and how you were talking about how it presents itself as like the the a thing that you should feel... Like you, you're not allowed to have, mm-hmm. you know, a problem that like you're not fucked up enough to have. Um, and I did have a a pretty good childhood. But I mean, the the problems were inside of myself for the most part. It was a lot of anxiety, a lot of guilt coming from nowhere, really. Like I, I had like a almost like Catholic guilt that I was just like born with for some reason Hmm. that I just my I went to church, but it was for some reason I was very, I always had something that I felt terrible about. Like whether it was like peeking into the porn section at the video store, like I would, I would feel bad about that for like a year and think about it every night (laughs) about how I saw this guy's dick. And that's kind of (laughs) awesome. Is it? That's kind of awesome. Yeah. It didn't feel awesome. I, I mean, know, I know, but it's it's in hindsight, it's just kind of adorable. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, looking back, because I mean, now obviously it's porn city on the computer. Yeah. There's no guilt, but <laughs> back then it that it, it, it was always something like that, like that, or something like sexual that I, like you know, 
experiment or there was a a friend I had in preschool that I, we would like show each other our private parts Mm -hmm. was the game and which I've told is normal. Um, and I, I, I felt bad about that for years when I was a kid and I finally like broke down and told my mom about it because I felt horrible. And she was like, Oh no, that's fine. You know, that's all right. (laughs) And I was like, are you sure? You're so hard on yourself. Yeah. Intensely. Was there somebody that, modeled this anxiety and guilt for you that you picked it up from or did did you was this created on your own because i have really great parents like i have really amazing caring and like unconditionally loving but also not like overboard to the point where they make me feel like i'm everything i do is amazing you know yeah so but I ha- like it just extremely supportive. Like I have great parents. So, but I can't think of. Well, actually, this is something I can bring up from my childhood. This is more early adolescence. But I think something that did give me um, a little bit of of that vibe was. Uh, Let's just uh, shut the, shut the door. I think we got some. Uh... I'm glad open doors make me so uncomfortable. But I didn't want to make you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Why do open doors make you uncomfortable? You just have... I always was someone who loved to be in my room with the door closed. So now, mm. whenever it's open, I uh, I feel really tense. Mm. A door's ever open. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so the the well, actually, I don't know if this relates because it was a little later. But just what you were saying about um, somebody who made me feel a little insecure, maybe was youtube a little bit which it it worked both ways because i was 12 i think when i started making videos and it was kind of a new thing to post yourself on youtube and get thousands of views when you're a kid and there's no one to really guide you through that because it had never happened before really i mean i wasn't the first person but it's it's kind of a unique experience. And so, you know, when, especially at that time, I would have, my voice was even higher than it is now. My hair was longer. Like, I, I looked and acted exactly like a girl. Not that there's a totally specific way, but, and there was constantly comments about, you are gay. You don't know that you're gay. You're gay. Or you um are, you know... Uh, you should kill yourself and all this stuff like that was happening when I was when I was 13 and I didn't realize until recently that 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 kind of fucked me up a little bit how could even it not though, yeah even though it was even though it was over, all over the computer it really kind of built up this feeling that there was like the there was a section of the world that was against me and just waiting for you yeah and like there's like there's people out there that hate me and they're there, you know, and they're in mm-hmm. the cars when you walk around and they're all judging you. Mm-hmm. So I think that's still there. You should listen to the episode with uh, Nandi La Sofia. Okay. Uh, gay man. And he uh, grew up in Modesto. Oh, and really? And it was about, would have been about 20 years ago that he grew up and it was a oh. horrifying environment for oh. a young gay kid. Um. But he has turned out, you know, he's a great, great guy, super strong and and, uh, very proud of his sexuality. But it it was uh, 
So when you had mentioned Modesto, that's one of the first things. That, cake and the other thing yeah. uh, with Nandi were the two things that popped into my head. And cheap wine. That's a that's right, the third Gallo. thing. Um, so you're reading these vicious comments saying, yeah. kill yourself, you're gay. Yeah. Okay. And not and not gay, but almost feeling like, do they know something I don't know? Like, am I gay? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. They all are so sure that I'm gay. Maybe I'm gay, <laughs> like, but I'm not. I'm like, I'm like, I think I'm bi, bi, or what did I say? I, th- I decided the other day that I was bi-curious, curious. <laughs> what does that mean? Like. Super curious about what it's like uh, to be with a guy? No. Cu- yeah. Curious about being bi-curious. <laughs> like thinking like maybe one day I'll start to fantasize about them. Yeah. You, you've never, uh, you've never had a gay experience, no. never masturbated thinking about uh, no. a guy. No, no. Well, no, not master. There was like, there was, I think there was times when I, when I tried it, but it wasn't masturbated thinking like just what happens when I, when I pop this in my head at the last minute mm-hmm. and I was like, that doesn't really work. You know, mm. but it never a gay experience. I think there was friends that I had that I was such good friends with that I was like, do I have a crush on them? But I don't. But I don't know. So there's always that lingering thing where I'm like, I feel like everyone's waiting for me to come out of the closet a little bit, uh-huh. <laughs> which is really confusing because I'm. It's almost like I'm pressuring myself to be like, well, always leave it open as a possibility, which is okay. I mean, everyone should. I think everybody should. Yeah. No. I'm like. I mean, I'm totally not like i'm a straight person and like i i could meet somebody next month who was a guy and maybe i would fall in love with them i don't know but i don't see guys right now and think about kissing them yeah i don't ultimately i don't think whatever name it has doesn't matter i think as long as you're just true to what you feel inside yeah and you find somebody that you connect with um yeah I think that's the or or don't. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Go live is, in you know. Go live in a cave if that's your thing. If you want to live in a monastery, it seems like the the mantra everyone gives you is that you're going to find someone when you really might not, or you probably will find someone and then get divorced. Yeah, <laughs> and then maybe find someone else. Yeah, is a is a good chance of what's going to happen. But it's okay to be single. I think there's so many myths that we're raised with as kids that yeah. are ultimately damaging. You know, the one that yeah. really bothers me is the Santa Claus one because oh, really? you're essentially tricking kids. You're essentially it is a weird and, thing. and it's awesome that they have this magical moment where they're yeah. all excited. Yeah, but. Isn't that a terrible moment when you find out that yeah. Santa Claus isn't real? It's just, I don't know. There's not really a another like one of of those things that that parents do. Like it's a very unique thing that the, there's no other like thing you just besides like Tooth Fairy, I guess, and, and Easter, Easter Bunny. Bunny. But those th- they just kind of come out of nowhere. Like it's mm. not really a thing you do to your to anybody else in life that mm. you convince them that there's a, a mystical oh, creature. I would say also success after college. <laughs> yes, an English degree. <laughs> um, so what do you struggle with? Uh, or were, were, were there some snapshots from ch- childhood that you wanted to talk about? Like, you know what? Let's pick it up with, uh, with the, the YouTube thing. So you started mm-hmm. posting videos on there. People were um, saying you're gay, that you should kill yourself. Yeah. What, what does that feel like when... When somebody says something that that harsh and out of the left field to you, 
Well, I mean, and I and I want to bring up also that it, it was there was two sides of it. I mean, I was getting positive reinforcement, which I think I needed too. So there, I'm, I'm a lot like LA. There's there's a lot of rejection and horrible things, and then you also meet people you really connect with, and there's good things happen to you there. So it's it was it was positive comments and also kill yourself. So it which doesn't really make anything balance, balance out. But. It has the makings for a wonderful uh, birthday card. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know how it felt. I, I think, I feel like my parents must have been giving me some talks, like when they knew that I was, that I was posting these that were like, you know, please don't take this seriously. Please don't. I think I had an okay head about it, but it was one of those things where no matter how I, I looked at it, it was obviously, you can't look at kill yourself and not, um, be like, why would someone say that to me? That's me. It's not like I, it's, it's, it's my face and me saying how I feel online. Someone wanted me to kill me. I mean, they, it's, it's, you're not exactly at an age at that point where you understand that that's coming from the other person's internal struggle. It's, it's, that's it's coming like, from another person who is afraid that they're yeah. thinking about sucking a cock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they want to suck my cock, you know, and they can't. They can't because they keep hitting their head on the computer <laughs> yeah. screen. Um, that might have been the dumbest joke I've ever said. I don't know if it was a joke. <laughs> so I don't know if you can judge it as that. <laughs> um, but, oh, and then uh, I guess a moment with that, like, there was... What I made the video about, I was thinking about this the other day, a real, what, like this, this is, it's so weird to talk about this because it feels so petty, like to talk about a, an internet comment, which is again, is the voice in my head being like, you don't have a, but, the right to complain. But you know what? The littlest comments can they just really throw can. us sideways and I think it's important to just process it, to yeah. just talk about it's, it and say, why the, is this fucking bothering yeah, me? Yeah. It's weird that some, like, it's just somehow it jammed into some part of your the way your brain works and it might seem like nothing to somebody else but it just hit you in that way and it could be something that a stranger said to you 10 years ago that could actually fuck with your head for years mm -hmm. which is a weird thing to admit to yourself because it feels like well i gotta get over that i mean that's just somebody talking to me and if you ever told anybody most people would be like get over it you know that's just some guy but it, it, it is weird that a, that a sentence can can mess you up um but i what i was gonna say is that I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I talked about in the video that I had an attempt, a kind of a suicide attempt that ended up being more of kind of like a, a cry for help type attempt, but um, which I can get into later specifically. But I, I after I, I did that, I remember I wasn't even getting that many views on YouTube, so not that many people would see the video when I posted it, and I decided that I was going to make a video about it right afterwards when I was 13. And I filmed a video saying... I tried to kill myself. People were telling me to kill myself. You think about what you say. Why would you do this to me? And I posted that and I left it up for like 10 minutes. And and like got and I and I and a few people saw it and I remember I was like I had no idea why I did it for some reason I I wanted to post that video. I mean it's it's it, I'm hope luckily no one saved it and it's not there anymore. But um and I remember I looked at the comments of this video, me saying I tried to kill myself, and uh, somebody had comments. Somebody that watched the video five minutes after I posted it said, "Please kill yourself, seriously, do it." And I was like, 
I mean, that still like haunts me because it was just like another level. It wasn't just somebody saying it was. That makes me sick. I mean, the the degree to which they said that. Well, because knowing that I was capable recently of doing it, knowing that this could actually kill this kid if I wrote this, like it it would be it would be a a slight murder (laughs) if I died (laughs) from that comment. Yeah, I, I almost think that they should teach kids in grade school. Mm-hmm. They should show them things about about that. That this is what you open yourself up to when yeah. you when you put yourself into the spotlight. Yeah, there is this faction of people. Yeah, so just understand that that's what you're getting into. You're also going to get into people that will connect with you mm-hmm. and tell you, you know, you make my life better and etc. Yeah. etc. But there's also going to be these people who just lurk in the shadows and yeah, yeah. And but that, that that makes me sick. That, yeah, that, it was that, really. It really was like I, I. It threw me off, and I, I think I deleted the video right after that. I, I was just like. It was so. It was such a big step from somebody just saying "kill yourself" with somebody saying, "Hey, you tried to kill yourself recently. I really want you to do it." You, you know what my opinion is? Why you would anger them so much is you are unique and you don't try to put on any kind of uh, false. You're you're a genuine person, and you are unapologetic about what you think and how you present yourself. And that is extremely threatening to people, especially people who grew up in environments where if they weren't such and such, they got beat or they got humiliated. And I think they resent the personal freedom that they see coming from a kid like you. Yeah, which I mean, it it all makes sense. That's that's the that's the weird part about about being harassed or or talked to that way is that you know that person is doing it for a reason, but it's hard to forgive them because you know that. And it's hard to get it off your soul. It's almost like yeah. somebody blows a dirty load on your soul, mm-hmm. you know, when they do something like that. It it gets inside you. I I still remember some of the nasty things that people um said when I was on on TV mm-hmm. you know I think I remember somebody telling me that I should get cancer yeah. uh, one time and because I didn't because I was making fun of a Patrick Swayze movie which this- is worse than kill yourself because kill yourself is fast they wanted you to <laughs> suffer for months that guy actually wanted that for you too he just didn't have the time to write a long lingering death he actually he didn't know how to spell lingering so oh, that sounds like him yeah yeah uh I I just remember on the way to school on the bus I would be happier than anything which sounds so crazy to say cause it sounds completely crazy yeah it's so weird because and it, I don't know if it even fits with the rest of me because I, I feel like I seem like somebody who would be like fuck high school and fuck the preps but and I was like fuck the preps but I just something about the order and the going to class to class I mean at the same time, I'll be honest with you, I was bored by 11.30, but something about going to high school every day, I'm in high school, I can do creative things, and it's cool because I'm the high schooler doing it, this is my little comfort zone, I've got a few more years left of this, you know, it was it was very comfortable for me. Was part of the excitement that you felt like you were going to get feedback from your video that week? 
Yeah, at at some I mean, I don't think that was the excitement of going to school. I don't I don't really know why I was excited to go to school. There was something about about I always had a a, a weird like fascination and interest in going to I don't know how to explain this, like entering this situation like high school or something and just passing through somewhat silently. Like I used to love to go to the rallies at school, mm-hmm. but, and it was, the, you know, the thing where they get you pumped up for the, for the football game that night and everyone's standing up and cheering and you scream and you, you chant your class year and stuff. But I would just sit there very quietly and almost like meditate and i that was like the metaphor for my ex- high school experience was that i loved for some reason being in this madness I, you know i i have this thing that i've shared about many times on the podcast that i love going to a crowded mm-hmm. coffee house yeah and to work yeah and i don't necessarily want to interact with people mm-hmm. other than a hi, how are you? Totally. You know, what have you been up to? One minute conversation. But I love the bustle around mm-hmm. me. I love it. It's almost like uh, an urban version of sitting by a stream mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that would be a similar thing. It's something about the the stimulation of the feeling like you're a, a part of, of this energy around you but you're you don't have to do anything <laughs> right <laughs> you have access to the on off switch yeah um yeah so something about something about high school really was exciting and i was very upset to leave it i was so dreading it i was in denial that i was leaving high school i had no plans to go to college like senior year was terrible for me emotionally yeah because i had you know, every that starts in junior year. Every single conversation you have is where are you going to college? What are you doing? What's next? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I, I had no answer. Every single person who asked me that say, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a loser. And like, just somehow deflect and somehow get away from it. And it didn't stop. Like, I just, I didn't apply for any colleges. <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do. And, um, so that was that was a point that was a hard point in my life for me was I I was feeling like I I don't know if I want to do anything like it was that vague kind of like not completely suicidal but like man I don't know if I have any other plans so I don't want to die but I don't really want to live very much you know <laughs> it's a terrible it's a terrible feeling when you when that the unknown is so large yeah and the repercussions of not knowing in your mind because in reality a gazillion things are going to come your way yeah in your lifetime that are pathways you you can take but i think in our mind we're like well if it's not in front of me right now Mm -hmm. then i'm just i'm going to be this in this same situation 60 years from now yeah or that's what people make you feel like Mm mm-hmm kind of with with their constant questioning is like give me something or you don't have anything so how long what was it a year and a half ago two years ago you graduated high school yeah i graduated in 2013 um and then i what did i do my dad it was also really stressful because i i was graduating from high school living with my my dad um and my stepmom 
I guess I skipped over my parents getting divorced. Basically, <laughs> they fell out of love. <laughs> That's a short version. Um, um, but he moved to Hawaii like a few days after I graduated. <laughs> um, and kind of asked me if I wanted to come. And I didn't really, which people still tell me that I'm crazy for not doing, but I was just, I don't want to go to Hawaii. I encourage all white people to go to Hawaii because Hawaiians, <laughs> for a week. Hawaiians love more white people. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> no. You're <going> to joke. <laughs> they actually yeah, have a day no. called uh, Kill, Kill Howley Day. Howley uh, means a white person. To kill him? Uh, no, but in, I mean, you would have been okay because you've been out of school by then. Mm. But for kids that went to grade school, in Hawaii, um, they would make sure to not show up on Kill Howley Day because you'd get your you'd get your ass beat a lot just for Jesus. just for being white uh, in in Hawaii. They don't like it when you stay longer than a vacation. I don't think they even like it when you stay okay. for a vacation. I wonder but, what's better. But um, I, I could be misclassifying <laughs> it, but um, from the stories that I've heard, that's that's kind of the that's not the stereotype the, I was aware of with Hawaiians. I yeah. imagined a lot more of. How you doing, brother? Yeah. Well, if you if you look at at the uh, the history of what white people have done to Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not hard to believe that, that there's that kind like of white people that me. kind of animosity. Um, but you know, I had a lovely time. My wife and I went to. Uh, oh, I thought you were ending the podcast. I got so nervous. No, <laughs> my wife and I had a nice trip uh, on Oahu uh, a long time ago, and this is back when I was drinking and using mm. and. Um, I was trying to get my boogie board out into the waves, but for some reason I just kept paddling and paddling and paddling and I wasn't getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. And these two guys just paddled up to me and they go, bro, it ain't meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) They said, you're in a riptide, brother. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's why I'm so tired. And so I got out of the water and I said, can... uh, and they got out shortly afterwards, and I said, can I buy you guys a beer? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, sure, man. And so they sat down, and I bought them a beer, and they're like, you guys want to get high? Mm-hmm. And so we went to their uh, apartment and uh, and got high, and I was like, wow, this is such a Hawaiian experience. Yeah, it was heroin or? No, just uh, just weed. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> just weed. But I think one of them was native, and the other guy was a, was a transplant. That's but- a great quote. What's that? It ain't meant to be. Oh, yeah. It was so, and you he just said it. You gotta buy someone a beer when they say that. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Um, but I love, I do love, I do love Hawaii. I need to go there because my stepmom is, is lived there for a, a long time. So my dad moved there with, with her. So basically what I was saying is that was, that was a, a, a weird, stressful Oops. time. I was already freaking out about graduating high school. Not to blame my dad completely, a little bit, but, um, but he, was basically like move with me or find somewhere else to live. You feel you felt a little uh, panicked and abandoned. Yeah. <laughs> um, Is it easy for you to feel panicked and abandoned? Panicked, yes. Abandoned, I feel pretty comfortable alone. So I don't know if as much as that. I do mm. feel comfortable. I also get lonely very easily at the same time. I don't know. I have I have that weird kind of loneliness where it's like. I, I want to be somewhere, but I also don't want to be anywhere besides by myself. You know, it's like the weird longing for like what we were talking about, even if it's because that's what I mean, that's I relate what we to that very, very much. Yeah. That's, well, I mean, well, that's what we're talking. It's kind of the, the manifestation of that is going to like what you said, you go to a coffee house and you are alone. That's the solution is you go to you go to a concert and you're 
you feel like you're doing something, but you're not. You're mm. you're still alone. You know, if you go if you go to the movies by yourself, it feels like you did something that day. Do you go to concerts by yourself? I I went to my first concert by myself, and I go to the movies by myself, and I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> it feels great. I encourage anybody to do it. I I uh, when I was I guess it would have been in my early twenties. I just graduated from college, and I was in that place where you don't know what you're going to be. I was mm-hmm. just starting to do stand-up, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be successful at this. I had a theater degree, which is, you know, is incredibly yeah. useless. And I worked at this insurance company, and there was an art house theater right next door. And as soon as I would get off work, I would go, and I would see one art house movie, mm-hmm. and then if you timed it right, you could slip into the, yeah. into the next one. Yeah. And so I'd see two movies back-to-back, and I just loved that feeling of like, um, like I was giving myself this gift of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally. Like I, w- I don't know. It just felt like it felt like my own little college. Yeah. No. Totally. I, I seeing a movie. If you go to one that's that's um, arty enough, it feels like this is part of my homework for for being an entertainer. So you can kind of excuse it as that. Yes. Be like. I'm or sometimes I'll do that when I'm watching TV all day. I'll be like, "Well, this is The Sopranos, so it's basically character development." <laughs> <laughs> and then you get old and jaded like me, and you're like, "Oh, fuck this pretentious piece of shit!" <laughs> Click. <laughs> um, Are you comfortable talking about your parents' divorce? Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> okay. What was that like to go through, and how old were you when that happened? That was. What I've been told is the difficult age, which is puberty, you know, um, 12, I think that was 12 mm-hmm. or that was right after I left the elementary school I was talking about. So, uh, the end of sixth grade, I think. So I remember I said in a video once that it was a weird time because it was confusing to be, to realize that your parents weren't in love anymore, but at the same time, be really excited about your penis. <laughs> like really discovering it and realizing that it's there oh that is fantastic <laughs> that is fantastic but that was really what it was like it was like you know it's you remember it's such an exciting oh. time to be like i was so excited about my penis that i was like looking at it in public you know, like going to the bathroom just to yeah. make sure it was still there and like you know because you never looked at it for that reason and then you're masturbating and and you didn't even know what what orgasms were exactly oh my and god was, when you discover orgasms yeah and it's like i didn't know that things came out and this feels so this feels like such a finish line it's so amazing <laughs> but at the same time it was i my parents <laughs> were not well they were probably masturbating um but uh yeah that's 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 something that is uh i think difficult i think is as kind of puts a weird thing in your mind for relationships i think it makes you pessimistic or it made me pessimistic of like meeting somebody or anybody i think even a friend it's like it gives me this sense of like yeah like just like when I was a kid and and thinking, wow, my I saw pictures and my parents got married and they were in love and I know they were I know at some point they were in love and they felt like they were going to be together forever and they got married and they they 
organized a wedding and bought a ring because they were so sure about this. And then they had kids because they were so sure about it. And then they just changed their mind. They just morphed into different people, understandably, weren't really interested in it anymore. And it was, and that to me has made me, maybe rightfully so, just so nervous about any kind of connection because I'm like, who's to say that's not going to happen? And it's true. Yeah, if it could happen to your parents who were in love yeah it's scary well that that is a thing that that makes me really nervous in general is that no matter who you meet this is a sad thing to say but like you definitely could are going to change in different there's no way to know if you're gonna change your mind about them or just Mm -hmm. like it's not that you fall out of love with them it's that you're a different person and that person's not in love with them anymore you know but I don't know. I was listening to your show the other day, and you said that you've been married for, or you've been with someone forever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, since eighty-seven. But and I imagine that it's got to be at some point. I mean, you probably that I guess there's that. There must be a, a point where you're like, you are like, uh, what's happening? Am I still into this person? But they must. You just make that decision. Is it is it worth it? Are they worth? the hard time are they worth the month where i'm not into it you know maybe i think every person in a long-term relationship goes through those yeah go throws i do i go through periods you know and and sometimes i'll be honest with my wife i'll just be like uh last week there was two days when she was like is you know something wrong i said i'm just i'm just having a bit of antisocial yeah um having some antisocial moments which was just but you you learn to I guess the difficult thing is to say, is this because this relationship isn't right, or is this just because I'm going through one of those yeah. moods when I'm just um, wishing I lived alone, yeah. or whatever it is that your brain um, tells you? That's what freaks me out. Is that not there's? It's a hard thing to differentiate. I always tell my friends who are single and are like, you're so lucky you're married. I always say, you know, there's nice things about being married, but there's also times when you want to live alone and you look at people that are single and you think, oh, you got it made. So just know that if you're if you're out there and you're single and you're thinking, you know, God, I'll be happy once I just finally find somebody, there's going to be things about them that annoy you. There's going to be things about you that annoy them. And... Yeah. uh you know, especially for somebody that that has black and white thinking like I do, when it's yeah. bad, you know, I'm thinking, how are we going to divide our shit up? Yeah. And it always pisses her off because she's yeah. like, why does everything have to be so extreme with you? And Who's going to get the podcast? <laughs> that would be weird if she, she got it and took it over. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, your parents... It gave you some cynicism. I think so. I think that it 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 it's, but it's it's a weird one because it's 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 something that it's hard to argue with that cynicism because it's kind of true. I mean, there's a there's a level you can take it to where it's like a little like you're okay. You're you're being a little bit too cynical here. You're being a little bit too negative. But for the most part, if you say, yeah, I'm just worried that I'm going to fall out of love with somebody if I fall in love with them, no one can go, oh no, you're not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, you might, and most yeah. people do. <laughs> so it's 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 a hard thing to. That's something I'm I'm, and it might not even just have to do with my parents. I just am. St- am kind of terrified of of relationships and I've had some and just I'm also really jealous I have a big problem with that and just being 
jealous in friendships even and just really that obviously comes from insecurity um what do you, you get what do you get jealous about people spending time with yeah, other people when, yeah, not, when you're not in- included or yeah yeah or and it would be a thing where it was like i didn't want to be there either you know it was like I was invited, but I don't, I want to, I want you to just be with me. This, I mean, it's, it's so, this is something that is extremely vulnerable because it's hard for me to say, like when you really break down the thoughts you're having with jealousy, when you're a jealous person, it's so selfish and mean to say like, what I'm thinking right now is I don't want you to go have fun, but I don't really want to be with you either. So I'd like you to be miserable. Sit at home alone. <laughs> be miserable. <laughs> like, you can watch TV, you know, but don't Skype, you know, like that's, that's a hard thing to, to know. And then meeting people, if you meet someone when you're like that, it's kind of like, you feel like you have to explain yourself and be like, I'm going to be kind of hard to deal with. And it's a hard thing to get rid of when you're like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely just, and maybe I'm getting better. I haven't long-term dated anybody for a little while, so maybe I've I've grown up a little bit. But I dated someone in high school, and I definitely was, like, not just jealous of someone. Like, she's going to date this person. She's going to sleep with this person. It was like, that's her that's her best friend who's a girl, and she doesn't even like girls. And for some reason, it's hurting my heart that they went to the mall, which is so confusing. You know, it's like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> And it and it's it's feels like a it feels like a a mean thing. It feels feels like you're being rude because it's like, well, do I love this person if I don't want them to be? I want them to be happy, I think, but it doesn't seem like I do if I'm always getting mad at them for it. Do you think know? it's that in that moment we're feeling lonely and we just want to be surrounded by people that are feeling the same way that that, that yeah. we are? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's being it's being threatened by people who maybe I just don't mesh well with people who want to go out when I don't want to, you know, cause there's, there's nothing, there's nothing more threatening than someone being like, let's, let's have a crazy Friday night and being like, I, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. I want to, I want you to look at me all the whole night, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I'm I'm not as bad as I'm making it sound, I guess, in a relationship. I mean, this is, again, this is me in a relationship when I was 15 years old. Um, but, I don't really know where I was going with this, but I am a jealous person. Talk about your your um, depression. Um, yeah, I mean, I I was diagnosed with depression. It was it was confusing for me because I went to a psychiatrist. I've I've been to a few different psychiatrists, and I remember the last one I went to was kind of like, well, I don't know if you're really depressed. And like she had a paper that had me diagnosed as depressed, some whatever depression type it is. And maybe I should know that. But she was like, well, I think you're situationally depressed. And I was like, well, then why are you giving me pills for it? It was was a little bit confused. So I don't really know. Especially at 12. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's that's, that's another another complicated thing. Because when I was at that age and taking them, it was, there's, there's a big portion of the world that's like, you know, you give every, all these kids are getting pills because, and they're, they're zombies now. And it's like. You know, and a, a part of me was like, no, I think it's helping me. And then, you know, so that that's that's a difficult thing because I, I can see that both sides of that argument. But I'm someone who has been taking medication every morning for a while. What do you take? Uh, Prozac and Wellbutrin. Um, and I think, I don't know, it's weird because I think that it helps. But I also, my OCD, like right now, is pretty bad. <laughs> Talk about it. My OCD, I mean... 
it i have a weird kind where or not weird but it's like kind of changes with where i am sort of like if i'm it's it's a lot of touching it's like if i'm walking by something i'll decide that i have to walk a different way but then i change my mind and i say that the voice in my head is tricking me now and it's it's telling me to go this way but actually that's that's the demon voice or whatever you know i get it yeah um so recently i've been punching myself a lot in public i have a thing where i'll punch my chest because i'll miss like a crack in the sidewalk so i'll punch and tighten up my face and i will feel so embarrassed because i know what it looks like and i know that it it looks like a a drug addict you know which is not to say that that's the worst thing you can be i mean that's not a good thing to be but i'm afraid of offending anybody (laughs) that's all right i'm a recovering drug addict it's all good um or you know it, it, it looks it looks like i'm what are people thinking of somebody who's who's punching themselves and walking backwards and then you know when someone is walking behind me and I stop and I start walking backwards. And I'm like, what are, th- what the fuck do they think I'm doing? They think that I felt their presence and want to come walk with them, but I'm really just missed a pole or something. So a lot of those things are very, some, for some reason, I'm more likely to do it in, in public than private. That's interesting. Um, but I hate, I, it's not like I want people to see it. I mean, I do it in, in private too. I don't know. And there's also, I've noticed people that I'm more likely to do it with. Like when I grow closer to someone, I start doing specific tics with them more. Like what? I mean, just like the punching thing or like the, I, when I, it's, 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 it's mostly like a based off of walking and then the other side of it is if I don't do one of the walking things, I pinch or I punch. So it's, it's like a lot of really, there's, there's so many of them that I do that I, I like, I'll, I'll find that I've been doing something for five months and I didn't even think about it in words until I start to talk about it. Like I just accepted it as my new life. And then they go, Oh, that's a, that's an, a compulsion. I didn't even realize it. Um, like, listening to a podcast or something i'll rewind a minute and make myself listen over again for no reason or like just keep rewinding a song or have to pause a song at a certain word and then running on a treadmill and have to bang my hand against something at the time that a song plays a certain note and if i get it wrong after rewind but it's on the even number and it has to be on the odd and i'm just a lot of stuff like that's some intense intense stuff yeah it is and then saying that right now i feel like I feel like a comment in my head. I feel an internet comment being like, why aren't you doing something about it? Like, why aren't you doing intense therapy right now to get rid of this? So the, the meds don't, do the meds ease it? I think so. It's so confusing. It's so, uh, and now <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous talking about this now because I feel like there's going to, I'm going to get re- emails or something that are like, you shouldn't be on these pills or you should be eating but i hate when oh people i get are. people to tell me paul get off your pills and i say uh, you know i got an email from when i made that depression video saying and i and i'm not that they didn't have a point but it was like hey i've got your solution um stop eating junk food i heard you eat candy and i was like that's not my only that's that's not gonna solve all my problems <laughs> right. like if you look at my medical records that's it's not reese's you know it's not that's 
I don't, I don't like it when people who aren't going through it kind of jump in and go. I always ask people for their medical degree yeah. when they when they tell me. Yeah, but I don't. But it is weird at the same time for me to for me to. I don't know. I've been on I've been on medication for a while, and I feel a little embarrassed talking about having compulsions still because I'm like. I I feel somebody about to go. Why are you on the pills? And I don't know if I really have an answer. And that's something that I have a hard time talking about. Does it make you feel exposed? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it just I don't think about my pills, and I think they are a, they're changing my brain, <laughs> and they they change who I am. But and I was on them when I tried to kill myself. You know, it's like a, a, every few months or whatever i'm like what am i doing is this doesn't seem like the is this even helping me but then i'm like well fuck what if it what if it fucks me up forever like what if i i haven't been on i haven't been off of them for a long time so who knows i don't want to risk like i'd rather be i'd rather be kind of fucked up on them than really fucked up than off them. dead you know yeah. than than want to kill myself and and do it you know so I've tried going off, and yeah. uh, it didn't it didn't work out well. And so, so I were went you back on. were you still struggling with them? Was it like me where you were like, well, "Why am I on these if they're not even helping that much?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was. It wasn't like I'm perfect now. Get me off. No, yeah. no. It was. I felt good, but um, there were still um, troughs. You know, yeah. where I'd feel like I just didn't want to get out of out of bed and face today and i still feel that way uh you know today i woke up and i was like uh i have to cancel my appointment i yeah. i can't i can't do it and um then a little voice in my head was like just get up go to the gym you know you're gonna feel better and uh and i did and sure enough i you know i felt better and came home and took a nap and it's a hard one to to have because it's it's equated with laziness, kind of, obviously. It's so hard to know what is your depression and what is you being lazy. Totally. It is so... And one of the things I've started doing is is questioning and saying, am I lazy or am I just feeling uninspired? Because one of the side effects of depression is, mm -hmm. is a lack of passion and inspiration. Yeah. And I look at times when I've been super productive and it's because I've been inspired. So it's like I I don't think I'm lazy. Yeah. I don't know if I I think I am. <laughs> but I think you can I think you can be both. I think you can be obviously depressed and lazy. I think you can be depressed and I don't think there's only obviously one version of depression where you're like it's all I don't know. I think that you can you can have the laziness coming from your depression and, and times where you're just. But again, it's hard to find out which is which, and it's it, it's everyone who would say, "Well, get out of bed. What are you doing? Like, get your life together." Yeah. You know. And I guess the question should be, well, why should we ever call ourselves lazy? What does that accomplish? Yeah. Is there is there any help in calling ourselves lazy? And I have to say. No, I don't think there is. Um, I think maybe the maybe the answer would be to ask yourself 
okay, I'm feeling uninspired, I'm feeling listless, do I want to feel different than this? And if so, is there anything I have control over that can help me not feel this way? Yeah. And then to go to try to go do that. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's I, I've been having that battle in my brain for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard because and and every, again everyone always has a solution for for something like that. They go, "You're you're feeling uninspired? Well, exercise." And there's and I do exercise at this time in my life, but hearing that when you're not even able to do that is so frustrating because it's like it makes you feel even worse. Yeah, it's like, "Oh, so it's my fault that I'm not solving it." Like it really does feel it's like, "Oh, so there's something that I I'm like I eat candy sometimes when i feel sad and so when somebody says well if you if you ate better and i'd be like and so to me that's like oh so i'm depressed but also making myself depressed Mm -hmm. so it's it's definitely my fault you know (laughs) it's just hard to hear and it's hard to hear when someone says exercise because it's like oh there's another thing i should be doing yeah you know it's not just my daily life activities it's a new thing that um it's hard when when the when the solution is is unobtainable through through the problem, I guess. Yeah, when it feels like we don't have the self will to nudge ourselves into the quote unquote solution. Yeah, that's, that's why I love my bed. I um I have a problem with sleeping. I am obsessed with naps. They're the best. And and that was another thing that I listened on one of your episodes. Is you said. Um, it's, it's so, I, it really made me think about this because I, I thought about when I say things online and people relate and just how powerful it is to hear someone say, which is obviously what your show is all about, to have someone say something that resonates with you. And it could be the smallest thing. Cause I heard you, all you said was that you wake up at like 1230 mm-hmm. and I felt so amazing. <laughs> I knew there was a reason. I knew there was a reason. <laughs> like I was like, this is an adult and he does things and he wakes up at noon and that's and so do i and like because when you are hard on yourself i'll wake up at 12 30 and feel like i'm the only one who's ever woken up at 12 30 and and i guess there's there's a somewhat of a dangerous aspect of that to be like well maybe i shouldn't feel great about waking up at 1 8, 1 p.m you know maybe i should but who knows i don't know you know i made peace with it and Me too. It, my I'm life trying. is better having made peace with it. Do you are you someone that just that's when you wake up? Yeah, really. Yeah, that's I go great. to bed about three. Uh, sometimes I go to bed at two and still not get yeah. up until noon. I love that. I love hearing something like that. Like I, because I, I am, I am addicted to sleep. I and naps. Like I'll do a when I'm not having a great week, I'll be taking two naps a day. Because I'm like falling asleep to a nap is like kind of my drug like mm-hmm. it feels very amazing it's almost like an orgasm to me like falling asleep when it's light outside and i'm a little bit too hot you know mm-hmm. and i can kind of feel the light on my face and i know it's it's kind of like a weird like rebellion almost like that's what's appealing about it to me it's like bedtime what's the fun in going to sleep then you're supposed <laughs> to, you know right like but i then know when exactly you, what you mean yeah but then when you're taking a nap it's like and you can hear people yeah, bustling totally. outside yeah and and i remember liking falling asleep when i was supposed to when my mom would do the dishes you know or mm-hmm. you could hear people on the tv because it, it kind of 
recreated that just the idea of of somebody next to you doing something but yeah definitely do you you like when you wake up from the nap and it's dark and you don't know if it's the next day or that's a that's like that's uh, always a a, a that's like tumbling around in the ocean not knowing where you are which is up and which is down yeah uh that's that's waking the whole concept of of going to sleep during the the light and waking up during the dark is very strange because it's the opposite of how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> right. Which always makes me feel like a freak. Yeah. It's like, why did I... I, s- I set my alarm an hour before I'm supposed to get up just so I can enjoy going back to, to sleep. Oh, totally. That's a great feeling. Going back to sleep for a little bit longer. Yeah. But it, ha- it, has, to, like, it has to be over 20 minutes for me. But like the, the I think the best falling asleeps I've ever had would be waking up and convincing my dad to let me skip school and falling asleep at 8.30. That's amazing. That's that delicious. Amazing. That's, that's, that like, that's like the birthday cake of, so great. of sleep. I'm just going, I'm going to wake up at, at 1. And, and then you're like, why did I even skip school? <laughs> but um, yeah, that's... Let's do some some fears and loves. Oh right, yeah, I wrote some down. Is this? I, I couldn't tell when when you told me about it. it I imagined staring intensely at each other. Is that what it is? <laughs> we can do that because I have a hard time. I you probably noticed with eye contact. <laughs> some I'll do it for like three minutes and then I I am so when I'm saying something vulnerable, I I usually look down. Yeah. I don't know if you do that, but I have a hard time looking at someone and being like, I do too. I do too sometimes, but, uh, I have not thought a single time in recording this with you that, uh, Drew has trouble with eye contact. (laughs) Oh, good. I just, uh, for me, when I need to form a thought, a lot of times I need to look away to concentrate on putting my sentence together. Yeah. I have a problem with, if I look at someone, I swore, I start to laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of a funny thing to look right at. Like, I'm talking to you and I'm looking at your eyes because it doesn't really make sense why you have to look at their eyes. Right. <laughs> and it kind of makes me giggle sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay, so what do we do? Give me a, give me a fear. Oh, well, well, I wanted to say, I, I'm sure someone has brought this up before to you, but it was very kind of sadly illuminating that I, it was so much easier for me to write down the things I'm afraid of. Than the loves. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I have two things that I love, but I know I don't. Cause I, and I think that I realized, I think it came from a place of like, well, I don't want to be corny, you know? Cause the loved ones are like, I was like, well, he's a comedian, so I'm going to give him all my rants and he's going to love it, you know? But I don't want to be like, I love this taste of this, you know? <laughs> um, okay. So you, I say I'm afraid. That's how I started writing. Yeah. That's how I wrote them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, one of them I just wrote, I'm afraid that I will never get an acting job again. That's a real thing. Do we talk about them afterwards? No, not necessarily. Give me another one. <laughs> um, oh, this came up earlier. I said, I'm afraid that I'm too jealous of a person to ever be in a stable relationship. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I liked I liked how you broke that down. It was very, um, it was very articulate how you broke down your... <laughs> You're, Sadly you're jealousy. specific. Yeah. Give me another one. This is very specific. I'm afraid of being in the kitchen when someone else is in the kitchen. Really? Yeah. I have a very specific, incredible... Like, I can go to a to a meeting with somebody 
in Hollywood and not feel anything and it be like or have an audition and not feel that nervous. But if I'm making pizza when someone else is getting water, it honestly makes my heart beat really fast. I want to die. I want it all to end. Something about that weird things like and I'm sure there's someone listening to this that somehow has that fear. It's very strange. I've never heard that one before, but it's that's weird. one of the things I have a really lo- weird thing with food. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm very like sensitive about people knowing what I eat. I'm always afraid that someone's going to see me eat and go like, you're hungry. Like that's my biggest fear. (laughs) (laughs) Is that someone's going to like comment on how many pieces of pizza I have. Um, Or that I don't eat enough vegetables because I don't eat any. (laughs) (laughs) You're young. You can get away with it. Uh, Not for that many more years. Um, Let me see. said i'm afraid that people don't like me they talk to me out of pity i think everybody has that one yeah i'm um let's see i'm afraid that i will run out of money here and have to move back home and everyone that knew that i moved will know that i moved back home Mm. and be like how's drew oh he came back you know (laughs) that's what i'm afraid of um, I didn't write. Th- I wrote that I'm a. F- I wrote this. <laughs> I just realized how weird this was. I wrote this down before I came in here. I wrote, "I'm afraid I'm not doing a good job on this podcast." <laughs> I was like, well, that didn't even happen yet. Because, well, can I talk about what you said in the email? Yeah. Or is that too behind? Because no. when you, when you first said it, you wrote, "I can't guarantee that the shows will make it," and I was like, "Oh no!" Like, I was like, <laughs> "What does that mean?" Like, I felt at first I was like. I'm going to be on a podcast and I'm going to talk, but it was like, what's he, what's he saying? Like, come talk about your insecurity, but warning, you might not be good enough for me. (laughs) 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 I wasn't sure. Like, I was like, well, he wouldn't say that to Mark Maron. Like, no, I warn every guest. Really? I warn every guest. I can't promise your episode will, will ever air. It made me so nervous. Because what, what the podcast needs is, is, it's hard to put into words what I feel in my gut needs to go up each week. Hmm. And sometimes there's been episodes where, um, you know, I may have recorded something with somebody that was very nice, but we've done eight episodes that Uh, are similar to that. Or somebody um, doesn't go too deep. There's been episodes that I haven't aired because that person didn't talk about the stuff that's hard to talk about. Mm. And that's the bulk of this podcast, if people enjoy it, is because there are those moments when people share the thing that's hard to share. Yeah. So those are that's just two examples of why sometimes an episode won't air. Sometimes an episode will um, stay on the shelf for... I like how it's on a shelf. It's digital, but it's on a shelf. Um, for two years. And then I'll be like... Yeah, we haven't talked about that subject in a while. Okay. I'm going to put that one up. So I don't ever want to feel like anxiety or feel like I let that person down. So I let yeah. them I let them know that up up front. Okay. I would still feel let down. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being honest <laughs> about that. I guess it's may have has anyone ever talked about that before on the podcast that they're nervous about the podcast? Almost everybody is, okay. is, is, uh, says that they're at least non, um, 
stand-up comedians yeah um say i'm nervous yeah you know i'm i'm afraid i'm not going to do a good job yeah um so yeah that's pretty that's well, pretty I, common. yeah because it is it if if you were to tell me you didn't do a good job talking about it would it would be the most personal rejection possible yeah. <laughs> well part of me now wants to do it just so that i can register for the rest of your life okay. as, as, go if you want to so fuck with me fuck with me uh no this has been a good episode can we we'll figure at the end we'll decide we'll i'll talk you through it and we'll figure out if it's because yeah, i'd like you to know before i leave i'm just kidding it's fine but um just don't drag me along you know how how so i'm just like tell you that it's yeah. gonna air or and like then be calling air. me every day like i'm still not sure yet but no. we really love you for this podcast no. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna go in a different direction oh, that's the thing that i can't <laughs> that's stand, the phrase that they always that they can't just call you and say hey i'm so sorry they have to say hey so hmm you know we're it's it's not you, but what's it's we're gonna go a different direction. There's one other one. Oh, we're not gonna go forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, just tell me that they don't want me. Just say it. They don't. It's it's a very complicated yeah. thing. <laughs> Give me some loves. Okay. Um, I'm gonna start off with one. Okay. I love that you are able to support yourself from. <laughs> Uh, bearing your soul. Well, I knock on so. wood. I hope so. I feel like every person on YouTube who has ever said that they can ended up losing all their fame, or not fame, in like a month. Yeah. Whenever someone's like, "I make seven figures," it's like a year later nothing's <laughs> happening because they bragged about it. Hopefully, it wasn't bragging though. But thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I love it too. Um. I said I love meeting a new person and wanting to learn new things about them. I like that one. Very excited. To, or I love meeting someone with that I'm uh, compatible compatible with uh, sense of humor wise. It's so exciting. That's the that's the best. Uh, I love kind of a version of that, but with food. When you <laughs> try a new cuisine, yeah, and there are flavors and spices that you've never had before, mm. and you're like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. My wife and I got sushi uh, for the first time when we were, I don't know, in our 20s. We were in Key West, Florida, and and I was just so blown away because, you know, I thought raw fish, it's going to taste horrible. And yeah. it tasted great. And so I was asking the the waiter, what, you know, what is this? And he's like, oh, that's pickled ginger. It's used to cleanse your palate between different types of sushi. And I was like, what's that? He's like, that's that that that's wasabi. That's a mm. horseradish that has some kick to it. And I was like, what's that? And he goes, that's an ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> Which should tell you how long ago it was that they had ashtrays in restaurants. But... Uh, yeah, my wife and I like to laugh about that one. Uh, give me another love. Um, I wrote that I oh I wrote that I love seeing my favorite band in concert, which is Guster, Guster. and standing as close as I can to them. That's that's my favorite thing in the world. Whenever someone says, "What would you do on the last day of your life if you could do anything?" I'd go to a Guster concert. That's how many times have you seen them? Eight, maybe. Yeah, which isn't. The um, maybe maybe for my age it's good. So I feel f- intimidated by some people's numbers. 
of favorite band. I love that I was able to relate to a 19-year-old on so many levels. Yeah. yeah. You're the, I, I'm almost positive you're the youngest guest uh, I've had. <laughs> you know what I loved was the moment when I realized uh, you had finished talking about high school, and I was about to say, and so what was next? And I realized that was like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That, yeah. that was such a, a a novel moment in the history of doing the show <laughs> to have it just be like, oh my God, he's only two years out of fucking high school. Give me one more love. <sighs> I love buying candy at the dollar store and then going to the movies with the candy. <laughs> I like that. What's your favorite one? Um... I am my favorite candy of all time. Which I, this actually isn't normally available at a dollar store, but my favorite candy of all time is a Hershey's cookies and cream. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? I have not. I think you are. If I showed you the wrapper, it's, yeah. a, it's like a white Hershey's. It looks like a regular Hershey's. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's white chocolate with some cookie crumbs in it. Um, so I like I like Reese's a lot. Uh, sometimes I will go with Sour Patch. Uh, I mean, those are two different moods, kind of. I don't really mix those a lot. You're like sour. Picasso with colors. Yeah, totally. No, I, I, but yeah, and but I, I'm not as ambitious as him because I sleep till twelve thirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe he did though. Is I there bet any he record did. of when he woke up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is. He strikes me as a type of person. Well, especially uh, if uh, he's he's Spanish, right? Picasso Spanish. Mm-hmm. The Spanish don't even go out to dinner no? until 10 o'clock at night. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, things don't even get cooking till midnight. Is so. Picasso the ear? No, that's Van Gogh. Okay. Fuck. A couple of great documentaries about him. I should know that because I'm so much closer to high school than you. <laughs> I think. Or should I not? I don't know. They didn't teach me enough. I don't think it matters. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Monson. Mm. Thank you so much for coming and sharing. Uh, you did you think that. you were going to get in trouble? You 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 stiffened. I, just, I get very nervous with goodbyes. Yeah. Um, and let's get into that. <laughs> 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 no, I I whenever whenever something is ending, whether it's a phone call or uh, something like this, I feel like, oh, but I but I didn't do enough. But I didn't give you enough. But I didn't. Uh, give you enough love. No. I didn't, you know. No, you were great. <laughs> Thank you. You were great. I appreciate That's you That's me out. manipulating you into telling me that I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like to date me, ladies. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and thank you Thank for making you. me laugh. Thank you for having me. Many, many thanks to Drew. Um, be sure to check out his, uh, his YouTube channel and um, I'll put a bunch of links up on the website if you want to check out uh, what he does. Before I take it out with some surveys and stuff, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined. You can go to the website, mentalpod.com, and you can support us financially by making a one-time PayPal donation or a recurring monthly donation, which uh, helps keep the show going and is extremely appreciated. And uh, you can, if you're going to shop at Amazon, enter through the search portal that we have on our homepage. And uh, if you buy something, Amazon gives us uh, a couple of nickels and it doesn't cost you anything. You can support us non-financially by writing something nice on iTunes and giving us a good rating that helps. Uh, that helps to boost our ranking, and that brings more people to the show. And you can spread the word through social media. That uh, that greatly helps. 
Let's get to some surveys. This is a body shame survey. Oh, and by the way, the band Cake, I looked it up. They're from Sacramento. Uh, this is from the body shame survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Parasomniac Princess. I don't even know what Parasomniac is, but I guess we'll find out. Um, I am overweight and hate my thighs, stomach, arms, and ass. I had a breast reduction 10 years ago and have gained so much weight they've come back to the original size. During the day, I'm a health nut, organic foods, juices, and water. My problem is when I go to sleep, I have parasomnia, so I sleepwalk into the kitchen and cook entire meals. Not healthy meals, though. Whole boxes of mac and cheese, entire containers of cereal, a dozen snack bars, a whole loaf of bread. I walk a mile a day, but when you're consuming 2,500 calories a night and don't know it, it's hard to keep the weight off. My sex life has gone downhill. I've lost all interest in being social. I participate in the local theater and have lost roles lately due to my size. I look in the mirror and hate my body, so I basically avoid mirrors. Last weekend, I took LSD and caught a glimpse of myself. It was horrible. In my tripped-out state, I saw my fat stomach enveloping the rest of my body and drowning me. I'm seeing a sleep specialist tonight and freaking out just slightly, but it's a start. Well, good luck. That sounds like a... Uh, to use a terrible uh, analogy or a catchphrase, that sounds like a lot on your plate. Like once I started to say it, I was like, you got to go through with it. And that was not intentional. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by Peach Pie. And she is bisexual in her 40s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. I've ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, some inappropriate things happened with both of my parents that wouldn't be classified as sexual exactly. But for example, I was bathed and dressed long past an appropriate age until nine, uh, nine years old. Perhaps as a result, I started refusing to bathe. My parents got the hint and suggested I start showering on my own. But for some reason, I was terrified of the shower. So the quote solution was for my father to come in and watch me shower. He'd stand on the toilet and command me to turn around, soap my vagina and ass, turn around again, etc., all under his watchful eye. This went on until at least 10 years old. There are other things that happened, fuzzy memories that I question all the time, but these memories are concrete and haunting to me. They, that sounds really fucked up. Uh, she has been physically abused and emotionally abused. This is some of the worst emotional abuse that I, I think I've ever read. Um... Both parents were also extremely violent in public and private, insidiously, and in ways that uh, changed me forever. A chubby kid, I remember being forced to eat out of the dog bowl because I, quote, might as well eat like a dog since I was one. Or random nighttime terrors, being woken up at 3 a.m. to come downstairs, be stripped and made to stand on the scale in our laundry room, forced to say my weight over and over while my parents took turns taunting me, then sitting on the couch to go over all the ways I'd failed them. Boy, that, that is some of the most narcissistic shit I have ever fucking heard. Um, these night sessions probably started when I was around 9 or 10 years old. Mom beating me, dragging me down the stairs by my hair, punching me in the face, sending me to school with bruises and fat lips, all while my father cheered her on and showed her full support like her very own Renfield. She'd tell me how I ruined her life, how she was the devil, and I was her spawn. Crazy bullshit, spitting at me while her pupils swallowed the whites of her eyes. That, to me, the, the fact that somebody's pupils 
dilate and almost block out the whites of their eyes shows to me that there is something like chemical, like a switch would flip with your mom. Um, I mean, how else can you explain somebody being that cruel? Um, you know, it sounds to me like like she didn't even have any choice, like just some fucking demon overtook her. Um any positive experiences with your abusers? Oh, of course, I loved my mother. She has since passed away. There was never any reconciling of my childhood or of the things that continued on when I was a teen or an adult. I never got an apology. The most I got one day was, <laughs> oh my God, you didn't have it as bad as we did, which is as close to an admission as I could have hoped for. I did love her, though. For as abusive and hateful as she could be, her love was also stronger than any I felt as a child fiercer and more uplifting and more reliable in a weird way. Not so with my father, who seemed to only live for my mother and has made no effort to connect with me since her death, or before her death, really. He's 85 now, and we don't have a relationship built on much else than blood. I don't wish him ill. Darkest thoughts. I've thought of killing people who have betrayed me. I've thought of how I could do it. I felt it in my heart. I've never gone so, so far as to plan anything out, but in that moment of betrayal, I could definitely feel the switch of rage inside me flipped. Even worse, I feel a switch of rage flipped when I hear children crying at stores, like a kind of bratty crying, not a tired, worn-out-from-shopping crying, if that makes sense. And I feel like hitting the child. I noticed that reaction in myself years ago, probably in my early teens, and I knew then I would never, ever have children of my own to put at risk. I can't control that feeling, and I don't want to know what would happen if I were in such a position to be a parent. Darkest Secrets. Stolen cheated, lied uh, to and from everyone I know or met, friends, bosses, lovers. My life is a facade. I have one of the cutest open faces, fully believable. I have a criminal mind, and somewhere in the beginning, I guess I felt it was okay to get what I, quote, needed somewhere else when I never got in the first place, or whatever could quell the anxiety, depression, loneliness, emptiness, etc. It's a tower of lies. My husband knows a tiny piece of this huge puzzle, and when I revealed this bit of the story to him, he hung his head, and when he lifted it, he said, it's you're kind of ingenious, but you know, in the worst way imaginable. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Humiliation fantasies are most powerful to me. I don't know if there's a term for female cuckolding, but that's what I fantasize about. My boyfriend or husband fucking another gorgeous woman. I catch them, and while he feels terrible terrible about it. He can't stop because he wants to fuck her so badly. He's helpless to do it, so I stand there and pathetically masturbate. Ha ha. Um... Yep. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd love to be able to tell my husband the entire truth about my life. To go lie by lie and just say, oh my God, I guess say I'm so sorry I never did that. I never went to college for starters. Here's what I did instead. And go from there. This is who I really am. And just hope to God he still loves me after all that. I think about that all the time. It's something I definitely want to accomplish sooner than later. What, if anything, do you wish for? Peace and forgiveness. To stop living in the past of the hurt little girl who's still so angry and needy and taking things out on people who are also still so angry and needy. I just want to move forward, always learning, letting in more light. Have you shared these things with others? 
Osher, I guess most of my partners think it's a little unusual for a woman to have that particular fantasy because men are usually the type to get into the humiliation scene, so I never really get to act it out, but that's okay. I enjoy thinking about it and acting it out on my own. How do you feel after writing these things down? Cathartic. I haven't even talked about most of these things in therapy. Thank you so much for the venue and the opportunity. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You're a good person. I know you think you aren't, and I know some of the things you've done aren't what you'd classify as good things, but you are a good person. Please believe it. Please say that to yourself every morning. At first, it'll sound like horseshit, but the more you say it, the more you'll believe it. It'll fill up your heart and turn you into a truth you should have been born with. You're worth that effort. Well, I hope... I hope that you can take your advice because you have been through some of the worst stuff that I, I, I've i read on this podcast. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Peter C. And he writes, I live with my wife and two daughters in an affluent urban neighborhood. We often feel like the neighborhood rednecks because we rent a quaint duplex that is surrounded by some of the most expensive homes in the state. But my wife and I make about 80 grand a year combined. Once the weather turns nice, the neighborhood is crawling with solicitors. My wife and I are dyed-in-the-wool liberal bedwetters, but the people who go door-to-door asking for money for the Sierra Club or the Clean Water Act or whatever are just plain aggressive assholes. It's hard to avoid them because we live in the upper-level unit and can't see who's at the door. Recently, a guy came to our house looking for donations for the labor movement or something. My wife, who doesn't have a nasty bone in her body, was trying to say no as nicely as possible, but the guy wouldn't give it up and was becoming rude. I was listening to the whole thing upstairs while playing Dark Souls 2 and getting my ass handed to me in PvP. When I died, uh, I flew into a rage and ran downstairs and started bellowing at the guy from the labor movement. I don't know what got into me, but it felt as though in that moment I was disgorging every last shred of repressed rage going back not only to the moment I was yanked from my mother's womb into a cold and unforgiving world, but even further than that. Back to all the repressed rage of my passive, aw shucks, Midwestern ancestors. I was quaking. The guy was some lumberjack, chic hipster with suspenders and a fisherman's hat, which seemed to coax the rage even more. Why the fuck do you need to know where my wife works? What does that have to do with a single fucking thing, you fucking piece of shit? Do you want her social social security number two? Maybe she can tell you... Uh, when she's going to be here all alone at night. At first, he tried to calm me down, but then just stood there not looking at me. My wife told me to stop and finished filling out a form, and we went back upstairs. She had this odd look on her face, and her skin was flushed. I was convinced she was going to tell me she wanted a divorce. I felt like a psychopath, an animal. I was glad my kids weren't there since it was in the middle of the day. It was unlikely any neighbors heard me. I'm sorry, I said to my wife. I don't know what my problem is. It's okay, she said. I actually thought it was hot. We then went into the bedroom and had mind-blowing sex. (laughs) This is struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Shark Collector about his PTSD. He writes, it feels like someone is inside of my chest trying to carve their way out with a dull spoon. It becomes so intense that I have visual, auditory, and perceptive hallucinations. I wish they were better at digging and could find a way to surface already. 
about being a sex crime victim. He writes, I have intense feelings of anxiety, but struggle to remember anything happening. My dad was an alcoholic, and I think he may have given me uh, some to blur my memory. A snapshot from his life, I'm in a constant state of anxiety. I can't even begin to sort through my thoughts, and the thought uh, of that and the thought of that also makes me anxious. I was recently diagnosed with PTSD and a dissociative anxiety disorder where I have perceptual hallucinations and cannot grasp reality. I constantly question whether or not being alive is real, and I constantly feel like I'm stuck in a constant hellish purgatory of death and rebirth. Wow, that is, that is heavy. Sending you some love, buddy. This is from the um, What Has Helped You survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Dogless Dog Lady, and uh, her issues are OCD, uh, and in parentheses, body dysmorphic disorder specifically, uh, depression, and eating disorder, and she writes, my therapist recommended that I try acupuncture in addition to my counseling sessions and medication for my OCD and related issues. Uh, I've had six sessions now, and aside from the wonderful relaxation I feel during and after the sessions, I've been happily surprised with how it's allowed me to better, better handle triggers for my OCD. And then she goes on to explain a uh, an event she had that brought up her body dysmorphic disorder in, in, over a particular weekend. And she writes, anyway, I had an acupuncture appointment the day after I got home and I found that immediately after the session, I was nearly back to where I had been before the trip in terms of my obsessive thoughts and checking compulsions. Prior to trying acupuncture, that setback might have taken me weeks and a lot of stress and anxiety to get out of if I got back tra on track at all. Um, and she writes, my therapist and acupuncturist report seeing similar improvements in their patients with a wide variety of mental health conditions. I'm not ready to use acupuncture alone since the right medication and therapist have saved my life, but I'm finding it to be a great supplement to my other therapies and wanted to make sure other people were aware that it can be used for all kinds of mental as well as physical complaints. Uh, side note, my insurance covers a certain number of sessions per year. So I'd encourage you to check to see if yours does as well if you're interested in trying it. Thank you for sharing that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Chelsea T. She's straight in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. I was abused as a child by my father for many years. My father went to treatment and we as a family and individually went to treatment uh, as a child and now as an adult. I was also raped during spring break in my junior year. I was at a party and was left behind by my friends. I ended up getting raped and having my clothes burned and personal items stolen. Uh, she's been physically and emotionally abused. I was in, in an emotional and physical uh, abusive relationship for five years, broken bones and black eyes. I thought that I needed him. I thought that if I loved him enough that someday he would love me too. When I looked into his eyes, I saw the pain and disgust with himself for hurting me so many times. Any positive experiences with your abusers? This is the thing. I love my dad. I left at an early age and became a drug addict to escape. But as an adult, my parents never gave up on me. They saved my life from heroin addiction. I've been through serious therapy, EMDR, etc. I've come to a place that I am my own parent. 
I have made up to myself what my parents lacked when I was a child. This has allowed me to let my parents be my parents in whatever capacity they can muster. This is freedom. Sometimes I still feel the disappointment and blame, the low self-esteem, and the shame. Darkest thoughts. I hate my body. Sometimes when I see myself in a mirror, I want to sand my skin off, slice the fat off my bones, and hide away from the world. I think I am too hard to love. There is a block that there is a block from true connection. Sometimes I get sexually aroused by things that are wrong, dirty fantasies. Darkest secrets. My father is one of my biggest secrets. The guy that I am dating now has no idea. I want to protect my dad from the judgment. I don't want to be broken. In my addiction to meth and heroin, I did many demoralizing things. I would dance naked in dirty homes for disgusting, disrespectful men with the hope that they will get me high. I used my body to get the things that I needed or I thought that I needed. I was also a criminal. Burglaries, robberies, drug dealing. I was also involved in violence. I witnessed and was ultimately involved in some horribly violent acts against other people, including rape, kidnapping, and assault. I didn't do anything to stop these things, even though I knew they were wrong. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Any sexual fantasies that are, quote, forbidden, forced sex, incest, in public, etc. I'm sexually aroused by sex outside of these areas, but these are the things that I feel most shameful about. I like being choked, manhandled. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? One of my secrets is that I have starting... I have started a journey with anorexia, counting calories, restrictive, sometimes not eating all day, which I feel the best about. I hide it from people around me, telling them I already ate or that I am not feeling well. I read up on how to be better at restricting and different strategies on how to get away from calories. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish that I was happy with my body. I wish I wasn't afraid to fall in love. Have you shared these things with others? I have talked about my addiction and my abuse with women close to me, but eating problems I have kept to myself. I want to protect it because it makes me feel so much better. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like there is something always wrong. I was abused as a child and in counseling for that. I was a drug addict on the streets from 14 to 25, and I had to seek help for that. Now the problems with eating. I am sick of being sick. Why can't I just be okay? Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts and experiences? There is a way out. I have found so much peace and love. I can live today. Some days I feel freedom. Spirituality has been my only way out. I have a quiet, safe place inside myself. I've been able to see that my problems stem from a base of fear of not being good enough. I can see that there aren't a million things wrong with me, but actually just one fear that has distorted my view on life. Thank you very much for that uh, that survey, and um, I think what a what a great example of um, just the ongoing process of you know in recovery they call it the layer of the onion that you're just constantly peeling one layer after another and that there is no there is no finish line. This is an awful moment filled out by uh, E, and she writes. It goes without saying that I am an extremely anxious person. I've seen therapists, been on meds for it, etc. But after having sex with my ex-boyfriend one weekend, I spent the next two weeks spending hundreds of dollars on pregnancy tests in this unbelievable panic that I was pregnant. Two weeks turned into three and I was still buying tests. 
I was unable to sleep, completely distracted at work. The obsession and fear took over my life. By the way, every single test had been negative. My period has always been irregular, so I had no way of knowing when or if my period was coming, which made it worse. <clears throat> Finally, I decided to drive myself to Planned Parenthood so they can confirm the negative on my tests. I walked into the clinic totally a crying mess earning lots of sympathy from those in the waiting room. When I finally saw the doctor, she said their test was also negative. But after, after I continued to cry and shake, she said she could confirm by doing a pelvic exam to see if there were any abnormalities. After it was all said and done, I was much more calm and walked to the reception area much more put together than before. As I was sitting waiting to pay, I heard the doctor talking to her colleagues after she assumed I was out of earshot. She's clearly not pregnant uh, from the test, but I felt bad for her because she came in here so shaken up, uh, so I just did a pelvic, pelvic exam to make her calm down a bit. I already knew she wasn't pregnant. Not only did that make me laugh out loud, but also uh, the fact that I got my period on the way home from the clinic. Oh. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, and this is filled out by a trans male um, who calls himself Body Hammer, and uh, his issues are dermatillomania, uh, body dysmorphic disorder, bipolar 2, ADD, um, lots of alcoholism in his partners and relatives, um, repressed memories, rape at 16. Uh, what has helped you deal with them? Uh, therapy. An understanding network of friends, medication, EMDR therapy, writing poetry and journaling, a self-care specific journal, doodling and drawing, making zines, helping others with similar problems and spreading resources, giving up on college and slowly learning to not use it as a measure of my success, playing ukulele, working on my bad coping mechanisms like binge drinking, eating, shopping, and drug use, a really supportive community, and parents who despite troubles did teach me that I was worthy, worthy of respect, and capable of doing whatever I wanted to do. Thank you for that. What a, what an inspiration uh, you are in the number of ways you're caring for yourself. This is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Spineless Arsewipe. And he writes, being the most easily manipulated man ever to walk the face of the earth, I was coaxed into returning to the home where my wife and I had raised our children. It was Christmas Eve. Our family tradition had always been for us to make Christmas cookies on Christmas Eve. Our children were teenagers at this point, but we still held to the tradition. With Christmas carols playing on the radio and the kids mixing the dough in the kitchen, my wife came over and asked me to do her a favor. The holidays were a particularly hard time for the man she had had a long-term affair with during our marriage, and he was very depressed. At her request, I ascended the stairs to my former bedroom, knocked on the door of my ex-bedroom, and asked the man who had been fucking my wife since before my marriage ended to come downstairs and join us in our traditional Christmas cookie-making activity. Fuck Christmas. Fuck Christmas cookies. Fuck that asshole. Fuck that bitch. Fuck me that I did that. Oh, I just want to give you a fucking hug. 
This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Griff. He's straight. He's in his 40s. He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I was attacked by a group of boys on the bus and had my pants and underwear pulled off in the fifth grade. Uh, ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. Uh, my father was domineering but loved me very much. I have some inner resentment that affects our relationship, even though he treats me with nothing but love and respect now. Darkest secrets. I often feel like a fraud and worry that everyone would hate me if they knew how awful I really am. I love my children and wife with my whole heart and worry that I am an embarrassment to them. Darkest secrets. I got a DUI and am terrified about resolving it. My depression has been out of control since my mom died at the age of 61 about six years ago. I worry that it has made me a narcissist and has killed my relationship with my children. My son looks up to me and loves me so much, but I worry that I am failing him every day. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I masturbate to pornography, but don't have any real sexual fantasies. I find sex anxiety inducing. My wife and I have not had sex in four months. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you hadn't been able to? I would tell my daughter that I am sorry for being so strict on her when she was a small child. I was not a very good father, and the guilt eats at me constantly. I would give all of my worldly possessions to have 10 minutes with that little girl to hug her and tell her how much I love her. Um, I'm unclear why, why you wouldn't be able to, why you can't have 10 minutes with her. Uh... What, if anything, do you wish for? I hope that I can remain sober and become a better husband and father. Have you shared these things with others? Somewhat with my wife. I have such crippling anxiety that I worry I'm exhausting to deal with. How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm crying now in my office with the door closed. Um, if, if you are able to have contact with your daughter, tell her those things. I know it's not easy. Um... But you sound you sound like you're a much better father than you think you are. And it might help you get out of that circle you're caught in of self-obsession and beating yourself up, which then has the unintended consequence of actually distancing yourself from, from other people. Um, this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Circle Jerk. And about her codependency, she writes, I'm looking up with a guy, I'm hooking up with a guy for the first time. I'm giving him a blowjob, and I honestly don't remember what trivial thing I thought I needed to apologize for, but with his dick in my mouth, I choked out, sorry. It's so natural for me to apologize for anything or nothing at all, but in that moment, it really hit me what a people pleaser I am, that I would apologize with a dick in my mouth or something I can't even remember doing. He was a good guy, and we both immediately burst out laughing at the ridiculousness of me apologizing that he was getting a blowjob. We still laugh about it today, but seriously, what the fuck? That's awesome. This is an awful moment filled out by Bravo. And she writes, I finally opened up to my little sister about what's been going on with me. She's probably the only person in my life that knows the most about me, and I still keep so many secrets from her. 
Long story short, I went to visit her for our yearly 420 weekend, and because I've been disassociating more frequently and didn't want to freak her out in case it happened during our weekend, I opened up to her about it and told her about my main trigger right now, a recurring dream I have where my mother ties me up by ropes from a ceiling and tortures me for days, slowly peeling away all my skin before a stranger finally puts me out of my misery. But before he kills me, every time he tells me, you know why your mother does this to you? Because you were never grateful that she let you live. And then my mother watches as he rapes and tortures me until I finally wake up screaming and dissociating. I don't tell my sister these things because she's from my mother's second marriage and my mother treats her much differently. We grew up in the same house, but two very different environments. Even though they don't have a good relationship, our mother is still loving and kind to my sister and much different with me. It's always been that way. I've never wanted my fucked up relationship with our mother to affect the way my sister sees her or feels about her so I don't open up about it and kept most of it a secret until my sister grew up and moved out on her own. I'm mostly afraid that my sister will get upset and think I'm poisoning her against our mother and I'll lose her the same way um, I never had my mother. But instead, when I told her about the dream and how I dissociate, I couldn't make eye contact and quickly tried to play it off like it wasn't that big of a deal. But when I finally looked up at my sister, she was crying and she couldn't say anything. I immediately felt guilty and started apologizing, coming up with every excuse I could until she stopped me and said that she wasn't crying because she was mad. She was crying because she felt so protective of me and wished she could know what to do to heal me. There are very few times in my life that I want to remember. My childhood is, my childhood is only worth forgetting, but that moment will stay with me until I die because the one person I didn't want to lose the one person who has every right to hate me for talking badly about her mother. She was the one person who has validated me, and instead of making me feel like a victim, my sister just made me feel loved. Thank you for that. That's really, really touching. And then finally, this is a happy moment from uh, Monique, who is uh, 17. And she writes, one of my happy moments was when I was in my living room sitting on the couch beside the girl I'm in love with. She was lying down with her legs on top of mine, and she was cuddling with a blanket I've had since my childhood. We were watching a dumb wedding show and making jokes about the dresses. It was the most I've ever laughed in my house. I felt grounded for once, as if having her beside me was like forgetting that I don't remember large chunks of my life. She was smiling, and I was too. For once, I didn't have to force it. It didn't feel empty. I felt whole. I just remember thinking, this is love. This is how someone who loves me is supposed to make me feel. Well, thank you for that. Thank you guys for being so supportive of, uh, of the show and helping, helping bit, build this, um, this thing we got going here. My, my brain and my mouth are moving so slow. But you know, one of the nice things about having the flu is you just get like two or three solid days in pajamas. There, There is, it's almost worth the trade-off. And to have uh, your wife or, or loved one uh, cook for you. Although she kind of does that anyway. All right, enough of my yakking. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just remember you are most definitely not alone. And um, sometimes the path to... Uh, Feeling better is something as simple as asking someone you trust for help. And um, 
It's what I did. And uh, I know I would be dead if I haven't. And I know I say that all the time, but I think it's it's something you can't say enough. I'm so grateful to the people who have helped me deal with all my shit. And um, there's no shame in not being able to handle that um, on our own. In fact, life's a lot more fun being able to share that stuff with other people. And um, I hope you, I hope you can get up if you're sitting there and you're you're wanting to pick up the phone and call for therapy or you know get help with an addiction. I hope tonight or tomorrow you get up that strength and you do it. And uh, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.